all aboard to your new weekly favorite podcast, Next Stop, where you will find out all there is to know about trains. 2021 is the European Year of Rail, a year to remind us that the journey is as important as the destination. I am Xenia and this is Next Stop, a podcast by the Spring 2021 trainees of the European Committee of the Regions. What about the next stop in the mountains? Then we know the right place to go. Jungfraujoch in Switzerland. Jungfraujoch is the highest railway station in Europe. It is located at an altitude of almost 3,500 meters in the Swiss Alps. Its construction was a pioneering technical achievement. But today you can take a trip of around half an hour during which time the cogwheel train ascends an elevation of around 1,400 meters. According to the European Commission, approximately 20% of the EU population was expected to live with a certain disability in 2020. People with disabilities face different types of barriers which stop them from being able to travel by rail spontaneously and independently. In some cases, even if the station or the train disposes of the tools to assist people with reduced mobility, the need to book it in advance might hinder free mobility of citizens. The 2030 Eurobarometer showed that only 37% of Europeans were satisfied with regards to the overall accessibility of station, and that 19% of the population didn't use trains because of accessibility issues. Improving our transport system to be more accessible and achieving a barrier-free Europe is not only taking care of those with disabilities or reduced mobility, but it is essentially making our transport system future-proof as most of us will at some point in our life, either through an injury or just by aging, experience reduced mobility. Next stop. Joining us today is Camille Gonger from Greece. Camille is a strong advocate for the rights of persons with disabilities. He works as a development officer for the European Network of Independent Living and he is a member of the European Disability Forum. Camille is also a travel broker and you can check his adventures at his channel, The Troll Wheeler. Kalimera Camille, thanks a lot for taking the time to share your stories and ideas with us. I believe you are currently planning a trip, right? Where do you plan your trip to and how are you preparing for it? What are you looking forward to the most? Thank you for having, uh, having me here. I mean, it's an honor and I'm very happy to join your, yeah, your nice podcast series. Uh, well, indeed, I live in Greece. I'm originally from Poland. If that's, you know, more European, you know, a bit of everything, a bit, a bit of Greece, a bit of Poland, it's nice. Uh, uh, well, indeed, I was planning to to travel with train in the next few days, actually tomorrow, and from Athens to Thessaloniki and to Larissa, which are two cities north of Athens. But unfortunately, I had to cancel the trip for various reasons. One of them was a last-minute medical appointment and also the very bad weather we have in Greece, which is not very common in June, but it happens even here. But I am not giving up on that, and I am sure that I, you know, I will do the trips pretty soon, 
maybe even by the end of the month or the beginning of July. And me, I, I am looking forward to do it because I love using trains. Uh, you know, I really enjoy them. They are comfortable, but they are also, you know, you can enjoy the view, you can reflect, you have some quality time with yourself. So really, I really like it. And, and of course, yeah, there's the green aspect. So I'm really, yeah, I want to do it anyway. Nice. Cool. So, um, yes, you are planning to travel by train. When we think about trains as being accessible modes of transport, at least in comparison with other ones, um, yeah, we use, really like to use them. But however, this does not mean that our railway network is perfect. For example, in Germany, where I am from, in 2020, there were still around 20% of train stations not accessible to those with disabilities or reduced mobility. So overall, what do you think are still the main challenges to have a truly accessible railway network throughout Europe? And what do the EU regulations and EU acts regarding this topic still need to achieve? I am not that sure that, you know, I mean, when I consider, you know, the accessibility of the different transport modes, that train is the most accessible at the moment. It has potential, but at least in Europe, it is not probably the most accessible. In some cases, they are. I mean, in some countries, there is a few challenges we need to overcome. And I would like to take you to a, to the, to a virtual trip together now. So, to let's do the process together from the beginning and see what it means for us to travel via train. So, in the beginning, we need to identify the route, where we want to go. So, let's say I want to go, I don't know, from Brussels to Dresden. It's in a city in your country, right? So, yeah. let's go from Belgium to, to Germany. That's the basic idea. From Brussels to Dresden. Uh, when you decide that, which is the easy part, you have to do a few things that, are, that non-disabled passengers don't have to do. So there is kind of already, you know, a different process, which is a bit discriminatory. You start with checking if the stations you would like to use are accessible. And then you need also to see if there is the necessary equipment in the stations for you to board on the train. Because maybe the station is okay physically, so it has ramps, uh, elevators, whatever. But maybe the platform is not on the same level with the train. So you need assistance and uh, you know ramps and staff personnel to assist you to board on the train. But that's not all. Because then you need to book the assistance. And you have to book it in advance to pre-book it. And if you travel in your country, so let's say, I don't know, from Brussels to Bruges, you would need, I don't know, 24 hours in advance maybe. In some countries, it's 48 hours in advance in Greece. The train, the trip I planned, I had to, uh, to inform them at least two days in advance. This already is a problem. And the European Disability Forum, relatively recently, uh, a very big campaign about it, which was called Show Up and Go, addressing exactly these issues. So our right to not have to pre-book and to be able to go to the station wherever we need, like you can do, for example, and to use it. And uh, we see that uh, there is even a problem with the spaces. So 
uh, you have a train, it can be completely empty, no person on the train, but it can take maybe more only two, two disabled people, two wheelchair users, because for wheelchair users, the space is only for two. So even if the whole train is empty, you cannot go, I don't know, a football team of, no, football team with wheelchair, you, can, you don't have, a basket wheelchair team, you know, on the train, you would need, you would need to use different trains. So it's important to note that the barriers are also not only environmental, so not only ramps and physical boarding, but also social, such as discrimination and attitudes from the staff, from the company, or even from other passengers some, uh, sometimes. So a lot of barriers. But uh, these are only from my point as a wheelchair user. So if you are blind, if you are autistic, or I don't know, you have other access needs, you probably face even different challenges. So I need that the EU and policymakers need to, to take the, these good examples and to replicate them. Instead of passing, for example, the European Accessibility Act, which is one of the things they did, which requires, if I'm not mistaken, for example, accessible ticket machines, which is, of course, very good and important, but what, I, but what I can do with that if it doesn't require the vehicles or the platform to be accessible? Okay, I will buy the ticket, but I will not board on the train. So this is not enough. It doesn't make sense. Okay. Thank you for this uh, interesting insight and also for your call in the end to the EU politicians. Yeah, let's move uh, to the next question because I think it would be interesting um, to have a look on the European Union. So, a famous initiative by the European Commission is the European Access City Award, where cities are recognized for their good practices regarding accessibility. While the 2021 winner was the city of Jönköping in Sweden, there was also Greek city receiving an honorable mention, Komotini, for promoting accessibility as an opportunity for the entire city. So, have you been to these two places? And I know for sure that you have already traveled to some other of the award-winning cities. And Camille, which good practices of these cities would you like to share with our audience? Are there any specific examples or stories you would really like to tell us? Yes, sure. Uh, first of all, let me tell you that actually I am a big fan of the European Access City Award. I am attending all the award ceremonies live in Brussels since 2015. So, you know, I'm following it very passionately, except of last year, which was online, of course. But last year, I was honored by the European Commission to be one of the official influencers, ambassadors, uh, let's say, of the campaign. So, indeed, Komotini received an honorable mention last year and Hanya, a city in the Crete Island, won a similar one the year before. So I have been to both of them, and they are doing a very good job for accessibility. But unfortunately, it's, uh, none of them is reachable by train at the moment. So, of course, uh, this is not that, because I attended very recently, like two, two weeks ago, a conference, four hours conference, about the future of rail in Greece, because I was interested about it, or, you know, on the occasion of the rail here. And no, 
there was no a single mention to disabled passengers to accessibility to inclusion, which was very sad. But yeah, and for the other cities, indeed, I have traveled to a lot of them, as you mentioned, like Warsaw or Helsinki. Warsaw was the big winner two years ago. Since you asked about a good example, but uh, I really had a good experience. It is in Bologna, in Italy. But I will talk about the small trains, you know, these touristic ones. The ones that they go in your city and they tour you around. They, they did it accessible. The last wagon they did, they had around. So I could board with all the other tourists and have a very nice round of the city, go to a hill, enjoy the view. It was something I never had experienced before. So I really, really loved the experience. Oh, really nice. So deriving from these best practices and as the Connecting Europe Express is starting in Lisbon in autumn of this year, passing by 40 different cities in Europe, do you have any recommendations on how our regional and local decision makers can make the Connecting Europe Express more accessible? Well, yes, I heard about this uh, Connecting Europe Express. Seems exciting. To be honest, I'm not sure that it will be accessible. I hope I am proven wrong. I hope that they, they will be accessible for everyone, so also for disabled people, uh, so we can enjoy the experience the same way with everyone. And when I mean accessible, I don't mean only for wheelchair users, but I mean also, you know, the messages and the materials to be accessible with the communication, to be accessible for everyone, for, for deaf people, for blind people, I don't know. But it will try always to be as accessible as possible. And I hope it will be the case with this one. It will be a strong message to Europe. How do you do it? You involve, you involve disabled people, and I'm aiming for that, sorry. I think that with co-production, co-design, then you can have, you know, the, you have make the accessibility and guarantee that it will be inclusive. So my recommendation is involve us. Ask us what we need. We know best. Yeah. That's uh, true. Uh, I think there's a saying, um, nothing uh, about us without us, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's, one, it's one of the key sayings of the disability movement. Yes. So, yeah, um, as we're coming to an end, um, do you have one last message for our decision makers to break down barriers and safeguards and safeguard the participation of everyone in the European Year of the Rail? Like yeah, so, yeah, as I said, I think the key is to involve us, to involve disabled people in every stage. Because we are the real experts in the end, I mean, we have the lived experience. And together, we can co-design and co-produce an accessible and inclusive future for our railways. And uh, I mean, also for environment and for the societies. And I truly believe, I really, I'm really honestly believe, that the trains have the potential to become our favorite mode of transport because, yeah, I, I love trains anyway. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so um, I think I would leave you into your hopefully um, free evening. <laughs> Almost free. I have to finish something, but apart of that, it's good. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Carol. Next stop. We are also joined today by Laura Alciskater. Laura is from Lithuania and she is the coordinator of the project TRIPS at the European Network on Independent Living. 
TRIPS is an EU-funded project which started in 2020, aiming to make the transport system more accessible in the following seven cities. Bologna, Brussels, Cagliari, Lisbon, Sofia, Stockholm and Zagreb. Lavo Slora! Thank you for your participation in our podcast. What was the inception of the project TRIPS? How did this project come to reality? And how can those living in those cities get engaged and support the project? Well, first of all, thank you for having me, me here with you. Uh, and also very nice Lithuanian pronunciation. Thank you for this. Well, uh, talking about the TRIPS project, I'd say that the main aim of the TRIPS project is to make public transport more accessible, but not only for people with disabilities, but also for people having temporary health issues, pregnant mothers, and well, basically everyone, because we believe that if the transport is accessible and easy to use to the, how to say, vulnerable to exclusion groups, it's also accessible for everyone. And in this project, we would like to address the barriers commonly faced by users with or and without disabilities in public transport and to implement steps to avoid these barriers in any sort uh, in future urban transportation. Uh, when talking about people with disabilities, usually they are hired you know, for roles of short-term consultants or if they are the ones providing the feedback for the projects which are already implemented. But they are rarely, truly, and I want to emphasize the word truly, involved into the process of co-creating the transport of the future. Because we are trying to change this with, with, with our aims and with the work we are doing. And for this reason, we have uh, seven project cities, which you already mentioned. And in each, in each of these cities, we have local teams led by a person with disabilities which are uh, named as a local user lead. And there are people, as I said, uh, having different types of disabilities or disability rights activists. And they are leading the, the working groups to put all the needs uh, into the consideration when working on this. They, they also have uh, local transport providers, city authorities, assistive technology suppliers, and also academics in the group. And all of them are working together for almost three years to to create future mobility solutions. But yeah, I'd say that, you know, the vision of co-creation made trips to be born. Okay, thank you very much, Laura. And in reality, there are a lot of different types of disabilities, each of their own unique and needing specific infrastructures. Do you think our decision makers are paying attention to that diversity of people and the resulting diversity of barriers regarding our rail services? That's, indeed, that's a very good question. I would dare to answer to this by saying no, they don't. But uh, I'm not blaming anyone there and I wouldn't say no, not because that decision makers are doing it on purpose and not putting all the needs into consideration. And uh, for example, people with mental health issues or persons with intellectual disabilities, they are not very much represented in nowadays society. And that also includes the topics related to the public transport. And uh, for example, in TRIPS, we were, uh, we were implementing the qualitative 
research during the first year of the project. And what we noticed that actually people with intellectual disabilities or people having psychosocial disabilities are very rarely represented in the media. The, most of them are people uh, with mobility disabilities, for example, or people having visual impairment. But when it comes to people with intellectual disabilities, they they either don't complain or or they don't you know engage into direct dialogue with with the transport providers with city authorities, and that's a bit sad because you know when you don't complain, sometimes it can be perceived as there is no need to be to be put into the consideration. The most of the solutions are based on engineering things, like for example building ramps making the ground weakers and, and so on. But when it comes to people who are having different types of needs, they are very little considered. So I'd say, you know, the more we talk about it, the more we we, we, we will raise awareness to what those people need to travel comfortably, the more likely the changes will happen and the faster the changes will be, I'd say. Yeah, um, thank you very much for this insight. And I move on to the next question, which is something which is also very important, is the integration of persons with disabilities in the labor market. And you're a project coordinator at the European Network of Independent Living, sure have a lot of ideas and input on this. How can the railway sector companies, private or public, break barriers to be an inclusive employer, is particularly to women? That's another very good question, Azir. Thank you so much for, for raising it. In general, transport is probably considered one of the most, well, let's say, masculine sectors of, of business. And I just Googled it yesterday and found out that only 22% of women are working in this sector of, of public transport, others being, well, men. And if you ask me, um, I'd say that becoming more inclusive is always a process, and by saying inclusive, I mean like to have very diverse groups in all the sectors, including uh, transport sector. And this inclusion process, of course, doesn't happen overnight, but I'd say it's very much possible. And raising awareness is probably very most very very important in this process. And if you ask me, the very first step would be to acknowledge that women. Where persons with disabilities can be equally competent colleagues as anyone else, and and that should be the main, uh, the most important thing, you know, when you, when you're forming the team. And as a person with disability myself, I'd say that the uh, wise people bring different ideas, bring different approaches, bring different perspectives on something, and I think it would be very lovely if we had this in transport sector as well including regular services, of course. So, you know, I would say if you become more inclusive to women, to persons with disabilities, well, women with disabilities as well, or anyone else, I think it, it, it would make bon big bonus, you know, to to your company, to, to, to the field you're working in, and, you know, it would be a great opportunity yeah. for you to grow. Thank you. Um, yeah, I personally would completely... Um sign this statement mm -hmm. and do you have one last message for our decision makers to break down barriers and safeguard the participation of everyone despite their differences in the european year of the rain well 
probably uh, one anomaly would be that I would like them to, to encourage them to implement the co-production in the work with rail and also in any other sectors of public transport. And, and I would say do it not only when it comes to persons with disabilities, but do it for other groups of society as well, including, you know, older people, women, migrants, refugees, and so on, that everyone would feel, you know, contributed to, to, to what, whatever you aim to reach. And co-production, in my eyes, is a well-established way to generate knowledge in collaborations between people, technology, and society. And all this process is based on the idea that we can come together and collaboratively create new ideas and new concepts. And in this process, not only everyone shares the knowledge, skills, fields of expertise or resources, but it also means that we share the responsibility together. We are all responsible to make it happen, to bring the changes and, you know, for example, if you're working on accessible transport, like we do, it's up to all of us, you know, to make the changes happen. The co-production, um, it's actually good not only for the specific groups of society to be involved in this co-production process, but also for transport providers, also for the ones who are making the decisions usually in, in, in the society. So. I would say uh, that co-production can make services a benefit for the people that actually use them and can make it everything more accessible. And it can make an otherwise institutional situation feel more human. And I think this is quite lacking sometimes when it, when it comes, you know, to, to feel such as a railway services or, or public transportation, like the approach and, and, and of, the, of the human. And, and humanistic values. Next up, we are Mila and Xavi, and welcome back to the Pop Wagon. We are again on track. Today, unfortunately, Foster is not with us. He's exploring Germany by train. Actually, Mila, he has promised to send us a voice message. But before, we want to focus on the linguistic use of the train vocabulary in the everyday language. Ah, uh, yeah. For instance, have you ever heard of this one? Trains of thought don't always run on schedule. <laughs> Personally, I also like on the right track, but on the wrong train. Oof, that one would be perfect to make excuses. But Xavi, let's stay focused on the track. I lost my train of thought. Sorry, Mila. All yours. Today, it has already been discussed how railway sector companies could break barriers to be an inclusive employer, particularly to women. So in that regard, Xavi, I'm about to mention a very interesting historical fact. A cultural anthropologist, Genevieve Bell, stated that extreme reactions to new technology are pretty old. Namely, early trains were taught to make women's uteruses fly out. What? Yes, you heard well. Critics of early locomotives thought that women's bodies were simply not designed to go at 50 miles an hour and therefore were worried that their uteruses might literally fly out of their bodies. It was a real threat to health. Crazy! And now, the promised voice message from Jose. He wants to recommend us a great train museum in Hamburg. In Germany, a train museum. Indeed, surprisingly, huh? Well, actually the museum, called Miniature Wonderland, is a model railway and airport attraction, so you can also find other means of transport there. It's the largest of its kind in the world. Should we listen to his voice message? Sure. 
Hola amigos, greetings from Hamburg. I came here to visit Miniature Wunderland. It is an exhibition that holds the largest model train set in the world. The mini railway reaches a total length of 15,400 meters. Yeah, you listen it properly. More than 15 kilometers of miniature tracks. If you like traveling as much as I do, you can visit Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Italy, and the United States along the itinerary of these little trains. I highly recommend you to come here and see it by yourself. And now, I give you back the connection. Jose, enjoying his vacation surrounded by trains. Jose in Wonderland. It looks like a name of a thematic park. Aye, let's get back on track. For today, we have reached our final destination. Farewell, dear pop wagoners. Thank you for listening. Until the next week. Adeu. Dovigenia. And as usual, with the pop wagon section, this fifth episode of Next Stop comes to an end. Thank you to all our listeners and don't forget to follow us and give us your feedback in social media, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. We can't wait to hear from you. My name is Xenia Rack and we see you next stop. Auf Wiederhören.